at your feet and just begin to give the Lord praise right now. However you do it, if it's a hand clap, you do that. If it's a lifted hand, feel free to do that. Come on, with the fruit of your lips, give thanks to God. We worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, I thank you for your presence, God. I'm grateful for your spirit that is working in this house right now, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, praise team. God bless you. Amen. Blessings upon our children's ministry this morning, everything that goes on there. Amen. If you have your Bibles, are going to the book of Psalm 122. I want to take us back to a familiar place, a place where we were last week just reading one verse this morning. Simply says this, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. How many are enjoying the presence of the Lord here this morning? Amen. I'm glad. I'm like the psalmist. There was joy that came in my spirit when somebody made that invitation to come to the house of the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your presence and your spirit, God. You have been here from the very beginning, Lord. What a great spirit of worship, God. I thank you, Lord, that your promise is true, God. When your people begin to praise you, God, you find a place to settle among them and your spirit begins to move and minister, Lord. We're grateful, God. I pray now as your anointed word goes forth, God, that it would go forth with power, God, and authority, Lord, that it would find a lodging place, God, and do the work it was intended to do. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. Last Sunday evening, we spoke, spoke from this verse, and we talked about the gift of God's house. If you were not here, you're able to catch up on by listening to it on the POM podcast, and we encourage you to do that. This morning, I want to continue in that same vein and speak from this title, The Greatness of God's House. Just to kind of make sure we all stay in context, we want to speak of God's house today. And we're talking about the physical place where people gather. We're talking about the spiritual sense of things that happen when we are gathered there as his people. Aren't you glad we don't just come for a club or just kind of come as a weekly activity, but we expect the Spirit of God to be here and to be working among us as a people of God. I'm grateful for that. In the book of Kings, we read that Solomon had been busy for seven years planning and working and constructing the house of the Lord. If you read about this, you'll find that no effort had been spared. No cost was deemed too great. The construction mostly was made of marble that was plated on the outside in gold. Professor Ignaz Groth, uh, he was an expert on the two Jewish temples. He estimates the cost of the construction of Solomon's temple to be more than $30 million. The result was an amazing and awesome edifice. It was a place of unprecedented beauty. It was a place of unrivaled luxury. Solomon's temple was an amazing place. It certainly was meant to display the greatness of God. First Kings chapter 9, it says, And it came to pass, when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house, and all Solomon's desire, which we pleased to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he appeared unto him in Gibeon. The Lord said to him, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication that thou hast made before me. I have hallowed this house, which thou hast built, to put my name there 
forever. And mine eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. God is pleased with Solomon's construction efforts. He tells Solomon that because of this, he has made this a holy place. He promises Solomon that he would put his name to be a part of that and to be connected with that temple forever. He tells Solomon that his eyes will be there continually. He tells Solomon that his heart will dwell there perpetually. This is the house of the Lord that I want to be a part of my life. It sounds like a great place to me. The temple, it was ready to be dedicated to the Lord. The postcards were created. The invitations were sent out. The people were excited. The big day arrived. Second Chronicles chapter 5, you can read about it. It says, and it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place. For all the priests that were present were sanctified and did, did not wait by course. They just got everybody ready all at once. Also the Levites, which were uh, the singers, all of them of Asaph and Haman and Judutham with their sons and their brethren, being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psaltery and harps, stood at the east end of the altar with all of them, 120 priests, sounding with trumpets. Verse 13, and it came to pass, as the trumpeters and singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. That then the house was filled with the cloud, even the house of the Lord, so the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Stuff that ought to happen in church began to happen in church. The presence of God filled the room. Their routine was thrown into chaos. The priest could not give his planned sermon because the presence of God was there in such great measure. There is brand new joy in Israel. There's a fresh celebration in Israel because of what they experienced in God's house. Let me tell you something this morning. What you experience in God's house ought to bring you joy. What we experience in God's house, it ought to make us excited. It ought to make us celebrate the goodness and the greatness of God. The greatness of God's house, it has not diminished in any way from that that was Solomon's house that was dedicated. And I'll say it will not diminish, not ever. God's house will be victorious. Even though perhaps the desire for God's house has over the last several years seen a waning from a world's perspective. Even, am even among the, the church uh, world, as it were, we have felt that waning of the desire for God's house. CTV News Lifestyles carried this story. Number of Canadians reporting religious affiliations at an all-time low, according to Stat Canada. A report from Statistics Canada has found that Canadians are becoming less religious. StatCan data shows that in recently released data, only 68% of Canadians, 15 or older, reporting having a religious affiliation. Excuse me. It was the first time that fewer than 70% of Canadians reported being religiously affiliated since StatCan began in 1985. Only 23% of Canadians reported attending religious group activities such as a church service like we're having here this morning at least once a month. 
StatCan also found that religion was becoming less important for Canadians. The percentage of people who reported that religious or spiritual beliefs were somewhat important or very important was 54%. And in the mid-2000s, it was around 70%. Individual religious activities such as prayer or meditation are also on the decline. Only 30% of Canadians reported engaging in such activities at least once a week, compared to 46% in 2006 when the data was first collected. Being religiously affiliated was not necessarily, did not necessarily correlate with placing high importance on religion. StatCan said that 18% of Canadians reported a religious affiliation, while also indicating that they rarely or never participated in a group religious activities. And they considered their religious beliefs to be of little importance of how they lived their lives. Now, I realize these are denominational statistics and from the religious world. But I think we can take a lesson from it this morning. I wanted to declare that no matter what the world says, that there is great value in God's house. There's great value in coming together as the people of God. There's great, great value in what we're doing here this morning in worshiping and lifting up the name of Jesus. Let's be honest, the world finds value in many things. They find value in real estate and in gold and silver and diamonds and all of these things. And we could put a monetary value on those this morning. They certainly have great monetary value. But I will present to you this morning that the house of God has something of much greater value than money could ever offer than silver or gold or diamonds could ever offer. You see, they offer something of temporal value. But what we're experiencing here this morning, it is not just for tomorrow. It's not just for next week or next month or next year. But gathering together and putting faith in your spirit as a people of God, that, my friend, has eternal value. For me, from the time I was just an infant, God's house was a continual and vital part of my schedule. Mom and Dad were so consistent in taking us three boys, Stephen and Peter and Tim, to the house of God whenever we had opportunity. And I know there are folks here this morning, like Keith, just like me, they remember those times. If the house of God was open, if God's house was available to be there, we were inside. If something was happening at God's house, we were and we wanted to be a part of it. We did not want to miss what God was doing. You see, whether we know it or not, God is always doing something. You know what? God has already done something in this service this morning. He's already ministered to folks before they even walked in the door this morning. Our, our house was a, our household, the, the long household, we cherished God's house. The long household was connected with God's house. God's house became a valuable commodity in my life, much more than silver or gold. One that I couldn't put a worth on and one that I could never live without. The habit of God's house that was instilled in me as a boy. As a result, I bring my family today and I'm part of a church today. I come excited to God's house today. I feel good today because my faith is secure. I feel good in God's house because my family is secure. I feel good about my future being secured in the house of God. All because of what I experienced in God's house. The book of the prophet Haggai is an interesting story if you read it. He is called to a backslidden people. 
Haggai prophesied to the people of Jerusalem after they had returned from Babylon in 538 B.C. The walls of the temple of Jerusalem, this same temple that we talked about the dedication of this morning, they had been destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. Within a year after returning from Babylon, the people had laid the foundation for a new temple. But by Haggai's time, that temple had still not been completed. Haggai, together with Zechariah, called upon the people to stop focusing on their own economic well-being, to stop focusing on their own success, and to go ahead and get a hammer, and go ahead and get some mortar, and get a trowel, and begin to rebuild the temple. One of the book's key themes was the restoration of God's house. A decaying temple, it signified a decaying relationship with God. You can look at it. You can study it through history. If God's house begins to wane and the desire for God's house begins to wane, the relationship of the people of God, it takes that pattern also. Reading from Haggai chapter 1, English Standard. Solomon's temple, it had been destroyed, and the prophet begins to give the command to rebuild. Verse 1, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai unto the prophet Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? Well, this house lies in ruins. Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat and you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but uh, no one is... Uh, no one is warm, and he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag that is full of holes. Thus said the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, verse 8. Go up into the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord God. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. He says, you want to know why things aren't going like you'd like them to go? You want to know why children are straying away from God? You know why a generation that is, uh, uh, the future generation is lost and doesn't know me? It's because my house lies in ruins. The beginning of this, we read that Haggai gives the first word. And at that time, the exiles had been back in Jerusalem for 18 years. But the work of the rebuilding the temple had been idle for the last 14 years. The work of the temple had started with excitement. They were excited about rebuilding God's temple. They thought it was, uh, it was a necessity and essential that they build God's temple. You can read about it in Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. It says, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites and the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout, and they praised the Lord. Why? Because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. They had began to rebuild this essential part of their life, and, and that was exciting. And the, and the foundation that destroyed the temple, it, 
or, or the, the temple that was destroyed, this foundation, this, it was laid again, and thank God for that. However, despite of this glorious beginning, after only two years, the work stopped. There's many reasons for it. They were hurt by discouragement. They were heavy with excuses. They halted because of lack of focus. When Haggai prophesied the foundation of the temple was laid and the altar was rebuilt, but the, temp, but the temple was not rebuilt itself. Uh, the citizens of Jerusalem, they told themselves that it wasn't yet time to resume the work of the temple. They just kept putting it off day after day and month after month and year after year. You see, it seems easy to slip in a pattern of procrastination after it's been put off for a while. There were some good reasons why they might have said it's not time and why the work of the rebuilding of the temple was difficult. First of all, it was hot. Work was hard. They, they didn't have a lot of money. Haggai 1 and 6 lets us know that money and manpower was short. They suffered crop failures and drought. Haggai 1 verses 10 and 11. The hostile enemies, they resisted the work. Ezra chapter 4 verses 1 through 5. They, they remembered easier times in Babylon. They didn't know if they wanted to put forth the effort. The people made their excuses for not completing God's house. The people made their excuses for not completing God's house. They made them sound spiritual. Sometimes we tend to do that. There was no way that they could speak against the idea of building the temple. That had to be done. The foundation was already laid. They had already established it. It was important. They knew that it had to be completed, so they spoke against its timing. They said it isn't God's timing to rebuild the temple. Because of the obstacles they were facing, because of the obstructions against the work, God's people began to rationalize and decided that it just wasn't the right time. If it's so hard, it must mean that God doesn't want us to do it. Just because things are difficult doesn't mean that God's not in it. Just because it takes our effort doesn't mean it's not the will of God. Just because there's sweat of our brow doesn't mean that's not a part of the purpose of God. Can I tell you a real revival is going to take effort? Rebuilding the house of God is going to take effort. Putting out something on the foundation is going to take effort. It's never going to come easy. When we're beginning to when we read this, it, you never like to hear God speak of his people in this word saying, this people, instead of my people. I want to be identified as his people. He said this as, as this people because God saw their excuses. He saw their poor priorities. He noticed that they were not living like his people, so why would he call them his people? We should remember that these folks that he was talking to, they were not bad people. In fact, if we wanted to categorize them, they were a lot like us here this morning. They were the remnant that had returned from Babylon. Hundreds of thousands of people went into Babylonian captivity and only about 50,000 returned. These were those who were most committed to the Lord. These were those at that point who were most committed to the restoration of Jerusalem. These were good people who had allowed themselves to lose focus. 
They lost track of what really mattered. They could no longer trace what was really important in their life. They, they had misplaced their priority. And the prophet Haggai begins to expose their wrong priorities. And then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai saying, Is it your time for yourselves to dwell in houses, that, in, to dwell in your paneled houses in this house? The broken house of God, the temple, lies in ruins. God saw and heard their excuses and saw their poor priorities. And he had something to say to Haggai through the prophet. The people said that it wasn't time to rebuild their temple. In their actions, they said it was time to rebuild their lives. In their actions, they said it was time to rebuild their houses, to rebuild what mattered to them. God says you're in fancy houses and the temple lies in ruins. This was the real issue. The problem was not that God's people lived in nice houses. He likes us to have nice things. But the problem was their personal comfort and their personal luxury had replaced what would be put in to rebuild the temple. The problem was simply wrong ordered priorities. They were content to let the house of the Lord remain broken rather than give up their comforts. They should have been willing to sacrifice for the work of God as willing as they were for their personal comfort and personal luxury. Guzik said this, he says, it's easy to see how this happened over a period of 14 years. At first the work was stopped because it was so difficult and they had run into some real obstacles in construction which prevented the progress. But over time the excuses started. God wants me to give attention to things at home. I'm not living extravagant. Look at the other houses in the neighborhood. Look at the other chariots in the driveway. Someone stood uh, someone should get to work at the temple. I sure hope the steps are repaired soon, but I don't think it's my job. I'm working on my house. The temple hadn't been op- hasn't been open for business for more than 50 years. Surely, Brother Keith, a few more years won't matter. This just isn't the right time. Later will be better. The excuses, they sound familiar, but God saw through them all. The prophet Haggai, he was like an alarm clock, unwelcome but necessary. The prophet continues, starting in verse 5, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat but don't have enough. You drink but are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. He who earns wages earns wages to put in a bag with holes. The commentator, uh, the commentator Boyce, he said, I, I do not know of any passage in the Bible that better describes the feverish yet ineffective activity of our own age. We put all the effort forth for what we want, but it really comes to nothing. If the house of God isn't the priority of your life, you'll just be spinning your wheels. The prophet says, consider your ways. The Hebrew figure of speech for this phrase is literally, put your heart on the road. Haggai asked God's people to consider what direction their lives were headed. And if they really wanted it to continue that way. 
Haggai gives the word, please, Israel, considering allowing the house of God to have priority in your life once again. So Pastor Long gives the word this morning, just as the prophet Haggai did, please, P-O-M, please, saint of God, considering allowing the house of God to be what has priority in your life. For Israel, it had been more than 50 years that the house of God laid in ruins. The house of God had been broken down for so long that this is so sad that they no longer missed it. It was no longer part of their schedule. They no longer longed for it. There was no yearning for it anymore. They no longer took their children. They no longer read from the Word. They no longer prayed to God. They no longer worshiped together. They no longer sang the songs of faith. The habits of the holy were no longer taught at home because they allowed the house of God to be in broken and lie in ruins. Can I tell you this morning, God is called us back to a brand new place of commitment where the house of God is what has priority in our life. We're in danger. The next generation will leave the faith not by choice but by void if we neglect the house of God. It'll be gone because they won't have had real faith transferred to them. So the house of God, yes, this building here at 146 King Street, it is the house of God, but it's what happens in that house of God that concerns me. The powerful representation that we experience with God, it should never be neglected. It should never be allowed to lie somewhere in the background of our life. The Spirit of God should always be invited to move. The Spirit of God should always be invited to come and sit among His people. We need to look beyond where we are right now to a place of eternity where we experience God in all His magnificence. Come on, I never want that powerful representation of the Spirit of God that happens in this house to be gone. You say, Pastor, don't you know now? We're in a new time. We're in a new covenant. We are the house of God. That's not lost on me this morning. But there's an importance of coming together as the people of God in His house. Musicians, you can come back. I'm almost through this morning. Let's go ahead and stand. I believe what happens in the house of God it ought to be a supernatural experience every time we come. You see, it might not be a lightning bolt, but every time you come together with God's people and the Spirit of God begins to flow among us, that is supernatural. And that should always be encouraged. You see, Almighty God wants to minister to humanity, you and me, in a personal way. As the world moves further and further away from God's house, I challenge us this morning not to follow that culture. As the people of God, let's make a declaration that we won't let it become neglected. We won't let the house of God be forgotten. We'll never stop gathering at the house of God. We need to make a commitment that this house won't be in the background of our life. That we'll put priority 
on God's house. We'll put our focus on God's house. We'll commit to God's house. You need to know it's more than a building that we're in this morning. It is a fellowship of faith. It is a body of believers. It is a representation of where God is. It is, it is and has been dedicated to the glory of God. Dave said it. David said it, and I declare it again today from our text. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go in the house of the Lord. This morning, the invitation, it has been made to make our way to God's house and see what God will do. It's telling to me that one of the first things that the Babylonians did was destroy the temple. Why is that? Why would they get rid of this central piece of Jewish culture? That's because the enemy knows what happens at the house of God. He knows himself the greatness of God's house. The enemy has set in God's house. He knows the powerful things happen at God's house. He knows that answers are found at God's house. He knows that emotions are healed at God's house. He knows that bodies are made whole at God's house. He knows that spirits are restored at God's house. You see, when the people of God gather in His house, things begin to happen. Come on, you need to mark it down. You need to make room for it this morning. God's here in His house because we have gathered here. And it is His intention and His purpose to touch me and to touch you. Come on this morning. Don't let something get pushed into the background that ought to be at the forefront and the focus of your life. There is a sovereign call that goes from God calling you and I to experience more in God's house. To experience a move in God's house. Come on somebody. I see the procrastination growing from... People are growing away from God's house. In the world, it's getting bigger. In the world, they're getting further and further away. But can I tell you, there is a procession of God's people coming to God's house. I believe it is getting bigger. I believe people are going to come from all over our city. I believe that people are going to come from all over the world. I believe things are going to happen that we never imagined could happen. Why? Simply because of the greatness of God's house. In a moment, they're going to begin to sing, and we're going to open the altars. And I wonder, as his people, we don't want to be called this people. We want to be called his people because we put priority on the essentiality of his house. We put priority on putting his faith in our children and in the next generation. We've carried it to a relationship that comes in the morning and we find a place of prayer. We find our God in the middle of all of our mess and God begins to work. Why? Because we know the greatness of God's house. Would you join me at the altar this morning to make a brand new fresh commitment to God's house? I was glad when they said unto me I was glad when they said unto me Oh, I was glad when they said unto me 